Thank you, Nilesh. And it's a pleasure to welcome Mopia. And, and I must tell you all that for both of us, uh, we have been present through the three editions of OCLF. Both Mopia and myself have been a part of all three editions of the OCLF. And we are so proud. I'm sure Mopia will, uh, you know, she'll echo my sentiments the way it's growing and uh, progressing. So you're welcome. You're looking fabulous, gorgeous as always. <laughs> thank you so much, Pure. It's such a pleasure. Thank you, uh, Nilesh, and thank you, OCLF, for giving me this opportunity, this platform, to once again talk about my books. And um, I uh, am absolutely delighted uh, when I got to know that, you know, I'll be speaking, having this lovely chat with Peoria. I was absolutely delighted because we do go back uh, to the very first edition of this uh, uh, festival. And I remember having uh, some lovely moments with you earlier when, you know, everything was uh, not so virtual. <laughs> we were all there. <laughs> and um, I look forward to a nice uh, little uh, interesting stimulating chat for the next uh, you know few minutes um, so um, thank you once again and um, I think uh, there might be some network issues in between so just just let me know Nilesh whenever my voice is either echoing or you know even your voice was not completely clear when you were introducing us so just just let us know Right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so, I think. so, uh, so let's dive right in. And um, at the outset, I am always, um, you know, always to know how you, uh, I mean, how, how you chose to write stories about the past. Because, uh, you know, there are people who will write about the future and of the present era. And it's a totally different story. <laughs> to write about history. So how did you start writing or think of writing about the past? Actually, uh, to, uh, you know, frankly speaking, I did not, uh, it was not a deliberate, um, uh, you know, move to write about the past. It wasn't like, you know, okay, now I'm going to write about history. History, of course, as a subject has always fascinated me, but um, it was more the subjects themselves. So all my three books, are around subjects which uh, around topics or around people which have always fascinated me so it's not really the genre which is you know uh, a kind of a uh, which attracted me to begin with it was the subject itself that that attracted me for instance my book Koka. Koka was about uh, it, it's it's a collection of short stories about uh, uh, you know a little boy's uh, journey um, little boys uh, you know life and times during the 1930s and 40s uh, in india when india was engaged with the british um, and the freedom movement was at its peak so these were stories that my father told me about his childhood so the stories were the ones that fasc it was the stories that fascinated me i wasn't thinking at that time that okay this is history you know I'm, i need to talk about it yes there was one very important aspect that you know when when these stories were told to me I was, uh, I had a little regret when I saw the children of today and uh, my son was very small that time and one of the reasons, actually one of the real reasons I started writing this book was because I, I wanted to uh, acquaint my son and his friends, you know, uh, he was about four or five around that time, uh, with um, those times, with, uh, with that period in our history which is so, so uh, important and so, uh, you know, which, which uh, influenced 
the future of our country in such a big way. And I wanted them to know uh, the legacy that they were carrying. I wanted them to know, uh, you know, uh, the heritage that they had inherited, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the legacy they had inherited. And I wanted them to uh, follow in those footsteps of their predecessors, of their forefathers who, you know, who fought for our freedom. So that was the intention when I wrote Koka. The other two, the next two books were, of course, set in two different periods of history. One was during our first war of independence, 1857 mutiny. And the, the third one, the last one that I wrote was uh, medieval India during the Mughals. Now, the second book, again, was again, when I wrote the book, it, I wasn't really thinking that, OK, I'm going to write about history. It was, again, the place that fascinated me when I heard the history of that place. That place was Orcha. It was Jansi's neighbor. And the politics that were being played out at that time in that uh, period, you know, which was again a huge, uh, a hugely important period in our uh, historical calendar, in India's historical calendar. So uh, certain events happened at that time, and I, I was living there, and I kept wondering, you know, what would it be to have been a part of those times? What would it have been to have lived during those times and been a part of such extraordinary events that were taking place, you know? So that was when the story started forming. Again, um, Mughalism was something that, you know, uh, that, 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 that uh, entire subject has always interested me. Uh, that period, uh, a kind of a renaissance in Indian history uh, with Akbar's reign, uh, culturally, um, even uh, politically, um, to a large extent, um, it was a very major, uh, very important period in our Indian history. So uh, certain characters were, uh, talked about, certain characters were not talked about. So again, you know, it was those particular periods, those particular people, those times, I think those times, those places that really interested me. So it's just, so it's uh, just uh, a coincidence that all three books happen to be in this genre. And my next book, uh, my forthcoming book is also happens to be in this genre of historical painting. So uh, where did this literature student uh, find this love for history? You said you always loved history. So where did they meet, you know? History, like I said, always fascinated me. I wanted to know uh, about the, the times gone by. But literature student, uh, actually being a, having been a student of literature helped me uh, write. Uh, because when you are, uh, for instance, I'm exploring a certain character, I'm creating a certain character. Um, so, you know, um, having studied literature, I was able to delve a little deeper into those characters, unwrapping the various layers, you know, of the character's personality. I was always conscious, always, it wasn't a, you know, like, um, literature has taught me to understand a character, uh, in, in, uh, interpret a character in various ways, you know, it is not just black and white, not just what you see what's going on in the minds and the hearts of those characters in the context of the, of the other particular characters or protagonist settings, you know, cultural, political, social milieu that the person was, you know, um, uh, the person was in, you know, in and around the, in that context. Uh, literature helped me, uh, I've been having been a student of literature, it helped me to, um, it equipped me, I would say, it equipped me to understand my characters better and to explore them further. Also literary techniques, which I learned during the course of my literary studies, I, I happen to, uh, you know, use a lot, um, uh, which really helped, which was very convenient um, uh, to write these books and uh, weave stories. And literature is all about storytelling, you know. Um, literature has taught me to dream. 
to imagine you know like literature has really uh, books stories have really always made me dream really you know uh, transported me to uh, periods and civilizations and uh, you know um places where i don't think i can ever go to you know or have ever been to so um, it, that has kind of you know helped me create my own characters my own settings a little more a little more in detail so is that the is that the reason why you chose uh, historical fiction over non fiction because um uh, generally historians or those who love history would love to document things and you know uh, it would be more towards a non fictional writing and um, so how was it uh, you know writing stories or no, uh, or fiction rather actually um essentially i am a storyteller i'm not a historian i am not an academic i am not documenting facts in fact i'm using facts that have already been documented so being a storyteller i love stories like i said i love reading stories similarly i love writing stories so that's where the fiction angle comes in but again uh, even if i am not to write historical fiction but say narrative history that too would be written in a storytelling format you know storytelling mode so my i feel i'm i am equipped i'm better suited to telling a story not really you know uh, presenting facts or doing uh, you know um, uh, from an academic point of view not really documenting those are for the for the great historians those are for the academics those are for the intellectuals i am just a storyteller so i have my uh, information around me uh, from there i pluck pluck out what i think will be suitable for my story so essentially at the heart of it i'm a storyteller which is why uh, i any day prefer to write fiction you can't catch me documenting facts i'm sorry <laughs> that's not my forte at all no and yet you've done so much research you've been telling me about how much research goes into all your work a, a lot of homework and documenting a lot of hard work that goes into collecting all the information so that you're actually right i guess so that hats off to you on that now that's again i am uh, getting together facts which are already there right i am not uh, i'm not here to give an opinion i am i'm not equipped i i'm not uh, you know i'm not a person to give an opinion here i don't have that kind um, i i'm not qualified enough to give an opinion it is not a viewpoint that i am presenting it is just a story i'm telling based on whatever is available whatever is there um like i said i'm plucking out stuff i am choosing uh, ignoring taking out from the mass of you know uh, records that are already there somebody else has done all that hard work actually you know <laughs> who is someone else so all our historians have done this absolute huge uh, uh, service to us you know by by keeping those records uh, alive alive and going i mean even contemporary historians of all these different periods modern historians they're constantly debating they're constantly contradicting each other so that again becomes a little difficult actually that poses a challenge uh for writers like us because uh, we have to be very careful what we choose because all set and done at the end of it you know if somebody's reading my book i don't want to give that person the, a wrong impression or a wrong uh, you know kind of a, a view about say a mutiny by 1857 
So uh, though I am creating my own characters and creating my own settings, the backdrop of the historical event very much remains there. Okay, so I can't mess with those facts, right? I can't mess with the facts which are already there. I can't change the date of Jhansi's occupation, uh, the British occupation of Jhansi as 1952 or 19, oh, sorry, as 1852 or 1860. It has to be on that particular day of 1857 um, uh, or you know, the, the day uh, Rani Lakshmi died or Chaitak Jhansi or the day Jahangir came on the throne or the day Subhash Chandra Bose uh, became the president of the International Congress. So these are, uh, you know, or Jagdish Chandra Bose died. I can't change those facts. So that has already been documented. I use those facts. Any historical writer uh, of fiction or narrative history would use the facts which are already there to his or her own advantage. So that's basically what I'm doing. Yes, I have to get together a lot of information and my the, the, the difficult part, the challenge lies in knowing, uh, you know, what to take A and B, whether or not that is uh, corroborated, uh, substantiated and authentic. Because again, uh, say if there's a French traveler who's written about the Vijayanagar kingdom or, um, you know, Akbar's kingdom, um, in the 16th, uh, you know, 17th century. Now, that person, when I've been reading the reports, has written totally from his point of view. He's not only documented what he's seen, but he's also given his viewpoint. So when I'm writing, using his information, all I'm doing is taking out uh, the, the, you know, the, 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 the descriptions for descriptions. You know, the, the, his observations. I am not going to use his viewpoint. I am going to ensure that my writing is not influenced by his tone, by his viewpoint. You know, so like, um, for instance, I, I, I'll tell you very frankly, uh, in the Queen's last salute, uh, there's a portion when uh, there's a conversation going on between two British officials. So somebody read, uh, before this book was actually published, somebody read that portion and actually told me that it, it is really, it, it sounds very British. It sounds from a very British perspective, what you've written, you know. So that is something that I don't fall in that trap. That can be very dicey. I'm not here to give my perspective. And I don't, do not want it to be influenced by a, a, a contemporary British or a French traveler. Nor do I want it to be influenced by a 20th century historian. I'm not here to uh, change the opinion of people. I'm not here to change... Uh, the facts and offer my point of view. I'm here just to present those facts in the most reader-friendly way possible. So I'm yet, there. Yeah, and yet what you've been doing through this sifting out of information is a difficult task. And yet what you've been doing is giving a point of view through out of two, out of three books, at least in two books, to a common man or an ordinary person. Because uh, I've seen that uh, among the three books, uh, you've written two from the perspective of common people, when in fact, there was a lot of data on the kings and queens and the important, um, politically important people. So how did you think of writing from a perspective of an ordinary person? And were there uh, greater challenges or the 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 entire thing could be reimagined and uh, retold in a better way okay so um 
there is enough material on the kings and queens. There is enough material on our political figures and personalities from history. And like I said, I do not have that kind of an um, agency. I do not have, I am not equipped to comment on such great personalities. And there is enough. Why I wrote from a common man's point of view was that I feel that the, the destiny of a nation, destiny of an era, uh, the destiny of a nation, the course of uh, a country's history or, uh, you know, the, the, the existing social systems at that particular period are inextricably linked to the individual. To the common man, any event of any significance, be it political, be it social, be it, you know, cultural, any event, the repercussions of it are first felt by the common man. So if I really want to reimagine a particular period, if I really want to recreate a particular period from history, I think I should be standing amongst, amidst the people of those times. I should be in the marketplaces. I should be in the bazaars. I should be, you know, as a servant, maybe in the palace. I should be uh, maybe even, even a scribe uh, in one of the courts. You know, I have to be a common man to understand, um, you know, in order to uh, convey uh, what life was like in those times. Because uh, all said and done, um, it is the common man you know, that who forms uh, the, the cultural and social fabric of a nation. So um, a nation cannot remain isolated from the common man or woman, nor can a common man or woman remain isolated from the events that are taking place in and around him. So um, we normally get to read in history, you know, particular dates, okay, on this date, such, such and such thing happened, such and such king did this, built rest houses and went to war and, you know, or uh, our national leaders, they did this, did that. That is all that we've read so far. Has anybody ever bothered to find out in all those textbooks of ours, has anyone told us what were the common people going through? When the freedom movement was at its peak in the 1930s and 40s, and so much was happening politically, the two nations were, you know, on the verge of, I mean, two nations were rising from this one uh, so-called, uh, you know, nation. Um, you know, what, what, what was going on in the minds and hearts of the common people? You know, what were they feeling? The leaders were taking all the decisions. What were, what were the common people feeling? Similarly, when 1857 mutiny happened, or there are two neighbors, neighboring kingdoms who are at war with each other. Okay, now if, if, if a person, if a girl from uh, Chansi falls in love with a man from Ocha, the two kingdoms are locked in battle. But these are two individuals, what happens to them? And uh, if you really want to know how people lived in Jhansi, if you really want to know how people lived in Ocha, you have to go there, you have to find out, you have to talk to people. I've spoken to uh, a few people who say they have, you know, he goes back generations in that place. So he told me about the kind of food, he told me about what they used to wear. And another very important thing is, um, you know, um, that uh, I feel that unless I go, and uh, you know, get under the skin of the common man at that time. I will not really be able to uh, even uh, you know relate to the events of those times. Um, 
I I cannot I cannot reimagine a past that is totally limited within the confines of 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 a palace or uh, you know a, a political um, you know or, or a political party's office. I cannot do that. That will not that will give us a very lopsided view, a very one-sided view of uh, uh, the milieu at that time. So I feel uh, if, if you really want to know about. Uh, the life and times about a particular era about going back to the past is very important that we we um, you know uh, tell the story from the point of view of uh, the common men and women and these common men and women may not be uh, uh, you know uh, i mean it, it, it very often uh, these uh, men and women were uh, were also very actively involved in what was going on around them. It wasn't that they were, uh, you know, isolated or um, insulated from the surroundings. You know, they they were very much a part of it. But nobody really but nobody really about them. That you know, that you know, how do you feel? So that was what I felt when I was going around Orcha, and that was when I really felt that you know, um, this is a place. And Orcha is, I mean, from what I've read about it and even over the 20 30 years that i've been to that place repeatedly i've seen nothing change there so i, I it really struck me that i wonder what would have happened you know uh, 150 years ago almost 200 years ago when um, this place was a bustling capital of one of the most glorious kingdoms of our country so those are the things and poka of course has been written from the point of view of a small child who is um, right bang in the center of uh, our uh, you know um, the, the freedom movement that is going on and he he his initiation into this uh, 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 freedom movement his, his patriotism is kindled uh, with the help of through the discussions that are being held in his house among his family members you know so like these are the common uh, you know uh, an average middle class educated Bengali family in, in a place like uh, what is today Jharkhand or Dhaka or Calcutta, where you know they are having regular, regular uh, you know debates, regular conversations around the events of those times. So instead of you know going uh, learning of those events from uh, uh, the, the, our leaders, we are there's a boy who is learning of those events from his own people. You know, and household you know, conversations or household on the table, dinner, 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 dinner time conversations, lunch That is a lot, of, yeah. a lot of, exactly, exactly. And in fact, that is one thing that we all need to preserve, you know, uh, because uh, ultimately, um, you know, it is, it is the hand-me-down stories, family stories, which, which really give us an insight into uh, what life must have been like 100 years ago, 150 years ago. So, Mopia, I, this is really refreshing, you know, because uh, uh, taking stories from uh, historics uh, or uh, stories that have that the rest of us have heard only from the viewpoint or from the um, the famous uh, leaders' uh, point of view or from their aspect, and to rethink them, to reimagine them, and then tell them from the point of view of an ordinary common person or a common man. It's really refreshing. I'm glad we have people like you who choose to do it because that's a great service. Like you said, uh, the historians have done a service, but I would think that to preserve that ethos, to preserve that kind of uh, feeling um, is a big thing in itself. And uh, you also did 
um, mentioned to me, but I would love it if you could say it again to the audience as to why you chose these stories to be told, these particular three stories that you've written already and uh, and why you chose those particular characters to tell them. So if you can say a little bit more about that, why these stories and why these characters were, were the ideal to, you know, speak about them I or to tell these stories. Yeah. They may not be of interest to many other writers, but they interested me in particular. Coca, like I said, is a personal memoir, uh, a memoir of, uh, and when my father used to tell me the stories as a child, you know, uh, I was fascinated even at that point. And later on, I realized that for him, these are just stories of his childhood. But for me, uh, they were a learning, you know, they were uh, a learning process. And I felt that, you know, I got a peek into what his life, through his life, I got a peek into the times then, you know. So uh, in a common household, uh, here we are not talking Nehru and we are not talking Gandhi and we are not talking Subhash Chandra Bose. We're not talking. Here is a is a little boy who has, uh, and Koka is not just about history. Koka is incidentally, uh, only I think one or two chapters are about a freedom movement. The rest is uh, about various other things, adventures. So uh, even if you're talking about a boy who gets, um, you know, who gets to meet a tiger during one of his picnics, uh, it is about uh, that place in those days, you know, what were the modes of transport at that time? So like uh, there is a, there is a portion in that where he talks about, uh, um, you know, this place called Jhumri Talaya in Jharkhand. We've all heard about Jhumri Talaya thanks to Vivek Bharati. I think the maximum requests come from there. So Jhumri Talaya, uh, then he goes there and uh, from there they are going to the Kodarma mines and from there uh, the Maika mines, you know. And then my father said, you know, that region was full of Maika. I don't know uh, today what the situation is. But there is a conversation that is going on where these children, Koka and his cousins, go for a eight-day tour around Choranakpur Plateau. And there they hear about this huge project, hydro project that is coming up, a huge dam, which most probably will be called the Damodar Valley Project. Okay, so we all have heard of the Damodar Valley Project after our generation you know, and the successive generations, after it's been there. But imagine the excitement before it was coming up, you know. So... You know, what would people have felt, you know, in that area when a hydroelectric project like that is coming up, the Damodar Valley project is coming up? Or, uh, you, you know, like, um, for instance, uh, there is this uh, story about a steamer ride uh, that Koka is taking with his uh, mother uh, from uh, Golando to uh, Dhaka, Golando, you know, Bengal, West Bengal, that portion to Dhaka. And in those days, uh, you know, they used to have these huge steamers, um, which, um, had double decks. So this gives us a peek into um, the caste, that system that prevailed there, that, you know, on one hand with the British who used to sit in the upper deck and for them different khana, different food was prepared by a special cook who made chicken curry for them, whereas the and Indians, the natives were all on the lower deck. And again, there was this very, a lot of friction between the Muslims and the Hindus, you know, that time, okay, this, this, the, the, uh, the steamer goes aground. So it, they're stuck in the middle of the river Padma. So that time Padma was a huge conduit of trade, you know, between Bangladesh, the jute, jute trade was very, um, you know, very flourishing that time. So these are the things that I wouldn't know of today or my children wouldn't know of, you know, that there were these steamers, this steamer, like, you know, the Koka is actually talking about the Titanic. He said, oh, you know, you're scared that what will happen to us? Okay, we are, at least it's not the Titanic because Titanic, I think, sunk about 20 years before this incident took place. And these are real incidents, you know, and uh, my father talked about, uh, 
uh, fowls and hens, a lot of, you know, cargo that used to be carried. And then this storm used to come called Kal Boishaki, which used to strike Bengal, which strikes Bengal even today. Uh, um, you know, summer, summer storm and it swept away everything, all the cargo and, you know, 36 hours these people were with. So at that time, the kind of friction that was happening, this was pre-independence, pre-partition. So, you know, the different, um, uh, uh, you know, um, equations that were taking place between different groups of people. So uh, it's, it's important to know all that, I felt. Um, so uh, this was, um, your question was, question was, was how, and I, how, how, yeah, and how about the, uh, the, uh, the Queen? Uh, and another thing I thought was Jagdish Chandra Bose. Bose actually came and died in Giridi. Giridi was where these stories are based. I didn't know about that. You know, there was a special train that was made for him. So all these stories fascinated me, you know, and I felt that, you know, if, if my dad hadn't told me these stories, I wouldn't have known about them. And these are such interesting parts of our history, which make a collective history, you know. Uh, the Queen, um, I chose because I, I fell in love with Ocha. And I, I just felt, you know, I, today when I, when I went there and I saw the ruins and I could still see the remnants of a glorious um, kingdom, you know, the frescoes are there. And I was speaking to a local person there and the person took me to another temple, different places in that town, you know, and uh, its proximity to a place like Jhansi, which was so important during our... Uh, um, you know, mutiny, first war of independence. And I just thought, you know, that 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 route really um, fascinated me. It still fascinates me. There's something very, on one hand, it's very eerie. On the other hand, it's very romantic. It's very, you know, there's something very, very, that pulls you again and again back. And Ocha also happens to be a very holy place. So there are so many, so many, uh, you know, uh, Tales around Orcha, legends around Orcha, which I have never read anywhere in our history books. And these are very interesting tales, you know, like, like the, uh, the wedding of uh, Salagram and Tulsi, you know, viewed by a British official who was posted there. It's a grand affair. Salagram was, Vishalikram, what we know as a uh, representation of Lord Vishnu. It's a small pebble. And how, you know, the pebble was decorated as a groom and married off to a Tulsi plant who was decorated as a bride. And it was such a grand feast or mango trees being married to mango trees. You know, you couldn't, the owner of a tree couldn't consume the fruit unless he married his mango tree to another mango tree of another orchard. And these were huge feasts, you know, at least a hundred guests would be there, you know, which was also considered very modest, you know. So these kind of, or, or the way they used to send letters to each other, so these things were very fascinating and, and that's what makes, uh, you know, the fabric of a nation, you know, these small, small things, our nation, any country's identity is not just uh, the wars and the battles and, you know, uh, the politics, a country's identity lies in its people, a country's identity lies in its uh, cultural, uh, you know, ethos, uh, the small, small things which, which we live on a daily basis. You know, so that was what uh, Ocha was primarily the place. It's just mind-blowingly beautiful. It's this beautiful river going through it called Betwa. And uh, what excited me was that here is Jhansi, you know, 20 kilometers away is Ocha and they're at loggerheads. You know, one is an ally of the British, one is a, uh, uh, you know, against the British. And while Jhansi was burning, Ocha was calm and peaceful and everything was nice there. So, um, it's amazing. Like 20 kilometers you go and that, that person is out to kill you. 
you know, why? Why in the same, of course, there was no, uh, I, you know, concept of nation state at that time. Everyone was protecting his or her own kingdom. But at the same time, all said and done, we were uh, children of the same soil. So why such um, enmity, such hostility? Anarkali and Salim, I wrote because I am fascinated by the character of Anarkali. Because as per primary sources, as per primary um, um, records, Anarkali existed, actually existed. Yes, yes, she actually existed. Uh, in fact, the writer uh, who first penned the play, it was a play originally called, um, uh, you know, by Taj and Tiazali, who's a resident of Lahore. He talks about why he wrote the play. One was that, you know, he said ever since he'd been living in Lahore, ever since he was born there, you know, going up there, he'd always heard of Anarkali, Anarkali, Anarkali. And there's a tomb there which everybody said was, and this was, I'm talking of 1903. Okay, so already he'd been hearing about this Anarkali, uh, you know, this person called Anarkali. So there has to be some truth, you know, in, in, in local tales as well. Um, also at the same time, um, the Western uh, drama scene at that time was, you know, tragic love stories. The flavor of the European drama scene was tragic love stories. So he gets both the issues together, both the fact that, you know, there's an Arkali's tomb and everyone is talking about Arkali. But more importantly, if you go through the sources which were penned at that time, the contemporary sources of uh, foreign travelers, even now, uh, you know, um, uh, people, uh, you know, uh, travelers who were Indians, uh, but not uh, commissioned by the royal, um, by the court, they have mentioned Anarkali in different forms. There is, of course, a lot of controversy as to whether she was Jahangir's, uh, one of Jahangir's wives, Sahib Jamal, or whether she was actually a first form Kibayan, or whether she was Jahangir's uh, love, because there is a very interesting, uh, uh, the inscription on that, on that uh, tomb that is in Lahore, which is, believed to be an archivist tomb, it says, you know, if only, um, I, I'm just giving you the English interpretation, if only uh, I could see your face uh, once more, then uh, on my day of resurrection, you know, something to that effect, which means I'm signed as uh, um, Salim, son of Akbar. Now, uh, one historian um, actually comments that it definitely could not have been one of his wives because hadn't he seen her enough if he was, if she was his wife. So obviously it had to be a lover of Salim's. So uh, there is so much controversy as to so much, so many records that actually talk of Anarkali being there. But as for the official uh, records, the court records or the court scribes or the court, uh, you know, um, chroniclers, not a mention of her is there. She's been wiped out. If she's been wiped out, then how, how come she has been mentioned by contemporary travelers of those times? So these were interesting things that I explored. I wanted to know, but of course, in my book, uh, which is actually uh, a digital, uh, in digital format, uh, Anarkali and Sali, um, I have given a little twist and that's the liberty you take with fiction. You know, you can use all that information and, <laughs> you know, make your own dish out of it. You know, <laughs> yeah, in fact. That was my next question that um, using your imagination, uh, it can sometimes uh, be a challenge because your, uh, you know, your, um, um, your, um, ta uh, the tales are through the voice of a common man. And yet, uh, 
the challenges to be in that space like i heard that you even had to go to certain places to feel have a feel of that place the the bazaars the ruins like you said just now not only that being a challenge but then even the language that you use in your books like it should not be contemporary it should belong to the times yes. the references yes. should be uh, related to the tools available then and uh, not you know uh, they should not make any mention of anything that you know mistakenly you use now yeah yeah one has to be very careful with those like i think at one point i had mentioned uh, spectacles and then uh, you know my friend pointed out and said <laughs> there were no spectacles you know in the in the modern form in the mid uh, 19th century so you know those things one has to check recheck um, again and again uh, the language uh, again should not be very contemporary unless you are deliberately you know you know you can you can write books in many ways uh, so you want to give it a modern context or you know uh but uh, no if i'm writing historical fiction i would like to keep it uh, of course writing in english uh, you lose a bit of that flavor unfortunately which is uh, which which was really sad because i wanted to talk about uh, you know way anatoly or uh, jahangir spoke or bundeli the bundeli ways you know they spoke but uh, maybe some words the the stories have been interspersed you know uh, there is some uh, smattering of Urdu words, Hindi words, local dialects here and there, just to give that feel. But yeah, the tone has to be very measured. Has to be one has to be very careful, definitely. And uh, again, one has to be very careful that you know no particular researchers or chroniclers' um, tone should influence your writing. You know, of you course. Know? And uh, as we're nearing the end of this session, it's I don't know how fast is, uh, we've been enjoying this so much. But I need to ask you. Uh, how um how do you think of uh, writing within this genre versus sometimes writing across genres do you really believe in uh, having a niche in this kind of genre what do you think about that again i like i told you right in the beginning at the outset that you know i did not deliberately start writing uh, in this genre it wasn't like you know okay now i'm going to write historical fiction i what i found interesting i wrote about um Uh, so are you likely to leave this genre and write outside this or now that you've created your niche uh you'd prefer to continue writing in this it it is certain if i find something interesting uh, something that interests me in a contemporary setup you know or um futuristic i i i don't see myself not really I, I I wouldn't uh, say I have a definite answer to that question, Piyori, because uh, I really haven't thought of that. I take each book as it comes, and okay, so now something interesting, some interesting. Because see, again, India is we all know is so full of stories. You turn a corner and there's a story there. You know, we have so much in our past that I, I mean, I don't see why we I should, you know, even want to write something. I mean, uh, about you know today or tomorrow. I would rather I would rather. because uh, a there is a there is an there's a very important uh, i mean there is an urgent need for uh, uh, people in india today to acquaint themselves connect not even acquaint connect themselves with the past i mean i think a writer of historical fiction or narrative history uh, this is one uh, 
you know service that he or she should attempt to do and uh, should keep in mind is that it is not just telling a story you need to uh, present the beautiful uh, you know heritage this this um, tapestry of um, our historical um, you know of, of our history with different events people culture culture uh, social social entire fabric to the current and the future generations i think this is this one is one objective this should be one of the objectives of um historical uh, fiction or narrative history writer but having said having that said, I want to say that as far as i'm concerned um i will take it as it comes i mean if whatever subject, whatever subject interest, whatever time right now uh, yeah strangely it's been three stories based in history and history will continue to fascinate me and like i said there are so many stories waiting to be told Yeah. so uh, if i may paraphrase it you uh, intend to uh, give the uh, the reader a, a very rich um, a chronicling as well as a peek into the life of those times and to keep it alive through your stories is yes. that your intent right so uh, just before we go i can't resist uh, asking you how do you maintain your um, writing speed uh, how does a day in your life uh, and your discipline writing discipline look like because there are many wannabe writers uh, looking at uh, you know uh, watching these sessions so uh, can they um, you know what what can they learn from your routines and, or what would be the tips that you would like to give them i have no routine i have absolutely no routine and like uh, virginia bulfan said very interestingly that you know um, a woman who wants to write uh, i don't remember her exact words but uh, more than anything else she needs a room to herself right <laughs> okay so you know it is it is a little difficult uh, to always uh, discipline oneself uh, and you know decide that okay from this time to this time i'm going to write because no matter how hard i try to stick to those timings or you know that kind of a disciplined um, regime um uh, uh, sorry regimen i i am unable to do so Uh, so um when i can write sometimes you know the flow is good so a few days continuously i can write and something may happen or uh, then i suddenly get stuck so um i i wouldn't say there is any fixed uh, but yeah i i try to um i do i try not to get away from that for too long because if that is the case then i need to reorient myself again that takes a lot of time so but uh, i mean under normal circumstances a book takes a fair amount of time to be written it is not uh, and and there are writers who are much are far more disciplined they have a particular regimen you know okay uh, in the day they schedule themselves accordingly and say i'll be able to write from this standard come what may uh, i have never been known to be a disciplined person um i can't write like that <laughs> so i i think we have just uh, time enough for a one line answer if you can give me uh, what or uh, what about those writers who wish to write history or historical fiction is there any tip or advice you'd like to give them we have just time enough for maybe couple of lines and time and that's it you have to fall in love with your country and that particular period that you have plan to write about 
if you are not connected with that period emotionally, I feel I can't write. And I, I can, you know, seriously, Anna, and I've seen that in you, the passion. And uh, whenever I've spoken to you, you can, um, if I were to ask you questions and you can speak for hours about that particular story and how it influenced the way you wrote and how it inspired you to get written. And uh, that, according to me, is what a writer is all about. And the successful writer is that who can trans transfer us to those eras and um, to that period. So thank you, Mopia. It was a wonderful is, chat. I'll give you one short example before we wind up. You asked me, uh, you know, what, uh, what, what would I tell aspiring historical fiction writers? I'll give you an example. All the places I've lived in so far have been historical cities, for instance. There's been Delhi, there's been Meerut, there's been Jhansi, there's been Hyderabad, and there's been Pune. Primarily, and even Guwahati, where I was for a very short time, which is known for you know the famous uh, um, between uh, Lachit Bhai and Akbar's battle and all that. So now I'm asking you one thing: uh, Why didn't I write about the Kali Paltan uh, of uh, Temple uh, in Meerut? Why didn't I write about uh, the beginning of the mutiny in Meerut? Why didn't I write about Delhi, Delhi's history? Why didn't I write about? Uh, Pune's uh, history, Pune was the capital of the Peshwas. Why of all the places, and not even so much about Jhansi, of all the places, why did I choose Orcha, for instance? Right, right. Mopi, I'm not sure you will you'll, uh, give up Pune, because I, I'm sure you'll write something about Pune sometime or the other. I just have this A lot of people so. who are far better equipped. <laughs> but I'm saying that it did stuff to me. I'm being very honest, and this is a very uh, un... It's just closer to the heart. Viewpoint. Yeah. yeah. yeah something yeah. something to that place. I've never seen Jhar. I've never seen Jhar, but I've seen, but I've seen and but Jhar Jhar described to me that described to me that erstwhile behind erstwhile behind is of my father. My father. First So it pulled at so my it pulled at my heart. I could have written about, I could have written about, written about all the other historical cities. But why these? Because that, that's why I said you have to fall in love with your subject. Be it a king, be it a king, be it the underdog, be it the common man or woman, be it the place, be it that event. You have to fall in love with that particular subject. You have to have an You have to have And then the reader will not uh, help but fall in love with your book and the story. And, and I'm sure uh, they would love whatever you you told us about today so i we will have to i'm um, afraid wrap up today's session and thanks a ton mopia and uh, it was wonderful thank you so much thank you Jordan. would you like thank to say you, as always it's a as pleasure always, it's a pleasure as always and um, unfortunately it was virtual this time i hope next year we can meet face to face and thank you and thank you thank you lakshman thank you lakshman for being there for being there and patiently hearing yourself. Uh, I'd like to thank Lakshman from the IT team and Nilesh over to you. Nilesh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. At all the outside, I would like to thank uh, Ms. Mopiya Basu, ma'am, and Ms. Pure Heart, ma'am, for joining us today. We wish we get to hear you both again and be equally enlightened as we all are today. And for my dear massive audience, I'm sure that 
after witnessing this conversation you all are taking home and enrich vision of yourself just as i will thank you for joining us today until i see you again this is nilesh bhuar signing off thank you